Hi, I'm Rick Anthony, and welcome to the Someone You Should Know podcast, the podcast that focuses on musicians, authors, and interesting people. We like to say we're making a difference one artist at a time. So sit back, have a cold one, and get ready to meet someone you should know. Have you ever wondered what the worst night of the year is to go to a bar or a nightclub? Or maybe, who was the worst person in Tinseltown? And maybe the question might be, what celebrity's got the biggest head? Well, <laughs> we might learn some of those answers today as I introduce you to a fascinating man who's done everything from being a bouncer to a comedian to a writer to a music producer and so much more. Will you please welcome Haji Outlaw. Welcome aboard, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You know, that's a lot to unpack. You know, first, let's talk yeah. about your upbringing. Where'd you grow up and how did you break into the world of entertainment? Okay. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And uh, I guess breaking in, I'll give you an early story. Um, as a kid, I never really liked talking in front of people. Uh, and so it was always kind of goofy. So I didn't start doing comedy until my 20s. But the early incident that kind of sent me on that path was my mom would be teaching. And I'd be in my aunt's place. And while, while I was there, I'd be up late. And I always get woken up by the Tonight Show. That music with Johnny Carson. <laughs> And I remember seeing Eddie Murphy on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I always remember seeing Eddie Murphy on there with that skinny tie. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And a couple of years later, it was like after he was a big star, I don't know, I was eight or nine years old when Eddie Murphy Raw came out. And my mom always followed Richard Pryor, so she knew oh, Eddie's yeah. act, and she was like, you're not, you're not good. You're, you're too young. You cannot go see that. But I was with my dad that weekend, and my dad either didn't know or didn't care, but he took me to go see Eddie Murphy Raw. And I remember... 10, 10, 15 minutes of the movie, I looked over my dad and I just like, gave a look like, I should not be watching this. I should just not. And so I think that was kind of the kickoff point where I was like, this is a fun thing. I'd like to do it at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. You say you grew up in south side of Chicago. Whereabouts in, uh, in Chicago? Uh, well, the first place I was on, 48th and King Drive. Okay. Uh, and then I uh, moved to 63rd and Stony Island, which is basically right behind Hyde Park. Nice. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. We go down Stony yeah. all the time to uh, to go uh, downtown. Yeah. We get off the uh, the toll road there and go down Stony. And, uh, well, did you hit any clubs in Chicago? Did you do any comedy clubs in Chicago? Yeah. Um, once I was out of college, that's when I started doing stand-up. And so the first club I ever did was Riddles in Orland Park. Okay. And then eventually over time, I was kind of a regular, kind of regular at Zany's. You know, my picture's still on the wall there. Yeah, everybody knows Zany's. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be dark. Yeah. Real good. Well, your bio says that your comedic stylings in the vein of Mitch Hedberg, who I love and miss very, very much, Dave Chappelle and Stephen Wright and Bill Burr, a unique brand of intelligent comedy is reflected in your music, your books, your conversations, and uh, especially being a bouncer in Hollywood and cracking into television writing as a big black dude. Let's talk about comedic writing on television. Okay. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's can you share some of your favorite moments of writing for for uh, television comedy and what we might uh, know you from as far as that goes. Um, the probably the biggest one was the Eric Andre show. Yeah, Eric, Eric Andre, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is everyone always thinks that he's like a wild and crazy in the writers' room or anything. Mm -hmm. He's not. It's a very tame writers' room. It's very chill. He just kind of has general concepts. You watch some videos and he wants you to just kind of go through and give your comedic spin on different videos or different movies or different short films or whatever. So it's really a chill environment. Uh, the other one I think I did when I was first got a manager and agent out in LA was uh, they have a CBS diversity comedy showcase, which had like, uh, this is like, I want to say, what was this? 2010 maybe or 20, 2011. Mm -hmm where we had Hassan Minaj was in there. 
Tiffany Haddish, uh, Fortune Finds. A lot of people got really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was fun writing for that. And that, that was like a weird experience because the woman who ran it, my lead, her name was, I remember right, her name was Fern. She was just like ridiculously honest. Like if she, like I remember I had all this stuff for, I was writing a bit for London Brown who's been on balls and a bunch of stuff. But I had all these Denzel movies. He does a great Denzel Washington impersonation. <laughs> so I took all these great lines from all his movies. And I remember her saying, that's great. That's really funny. But uh, white people do not do not know all of these Denzel Washington movies. They only know a couple. <laughs> so you need to cut this down. Like, you training there or something else. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> all right. She was really honest. She was great. She was great. Though. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Now, being a stand-up comedian... All the stand-up comedians always have a joke to basically reel everyone back in. Say, for instance, we start losing the audience here and there or whatever. What is your go-to joke? Um, I've had a couple of them. One of them is, um, well, it's kind of like a three-line where I say there's three types of people in the world that I'll never be able to trust. Number one, uh, white cops. Number two, politicians. And number three, LASIK eye surgeons who wear glasses. All equally untrustworthy people. <laughs> okay. Um, that's kind of one that reels it back in. I had uh-huh. another one I haven't done in a while about Febreze, where I don't, where I say I don't wear cologne. I basically wear Febreze, and chicks will smell me and be like, "Oh my god, you smell like the couch." I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> those, those are like I haven't done that joke in a while. <laughs> oh, good. We talked about Eric Andre's show. You also worked in films and commercials and such. Any commercials we should know you from? A Febreze uh, yeah. commercial, maybe? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I wrote. A, uh, I wrote a couple. I did one with. Uh, it was Hannibal Burris. Uh, he had one with Toro. I wrote that one for the, you know, it's like the Airbnb for car uh, car rentals. Okay. And then I, I had another one where it was Hannibal and uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who plays Spider Man currently, Tom Holland. Okay. Uh, they were both they were both in that one, and that was that was a fun one to write too, and paid a lot too. Um, that, that experience with like writing and seeing it was funny, and also I remember being on the set when they were doing it. Like Tom Holland was super nice. I'm, I know Hannibal for years from Chicago. Yeah, but Tom Holland was super nice about everything. But I remember there's a part in the commercial was for the game Final Fantasy 14 or 15, and there's a part where he's like doing a bunch of push-ups on the ground as Hannibal comes down the stairs. But something kept happening where he had they had to keep doing multiple takes. So I want to think. I think Tom Holland probably did an easy 80 push-ups, <laughs> and he, he, each time it has to look like it's easy for him. Uh-huh. And I remember those those a British director. And the only time I heard Tom Holland be upset, he's like, did we get it? Did we get the shot? Did you get it yet? He's like, I mean, I mean, his arms have to been bulging. I think like as soon as they were done with the cut, like I think his handlers were like, all right, give him a rub down or something. I was like, yeah, that, that's, that was a lot. Of Before we continue, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I invite you to check us out on the web at someoneyoushouldknowpodcast.com. There you're going to find recent news, our archive of past episodes, and a whole lot more. And we really appreciate it if you are on the front page. Down at the bottom, you can leave us a review, give us a rating, let us know how we're doing. And we're very blessed to reach so many cities around the world. We'd like to salute Anaheim, California, Granby, Quebec, Canada, and Campo Largo, Brazil. Thanks for tuning in. The podcast is available wherever quality streaming audio is available. Now back to our podcast interview with Haji Outlaw. Let's now talk about your music production. You've worked with uh, Cool Keith, uh, Chris Crack, yourself. Being a producer, uh, first off, when did you get involved in producing? I actually started getting producing before I started doing comedy. I was in college. Well, actually in high school, I used to like DJ with like CD, just mm-hmm. CDs and make my own mixtapes. Right. But when I was in college, I was able to get like a, 
a CD turntable. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started making actual mix CDs and selling those on campus and everything. Uh, and from that, I think a year after I got that CD turntable, I got like a beat machine and started actually making beats. And I released like some songs around mid 2000, maybe 2005, 2006 that I, I just sent out to like colleges and they were actually profitable. I was, I was, quali- I was stunned. Cause like in my royalties, I got like, you know, two, three years down the line, I'd forgotten about it. I had moved to LA and I was like, Oh, I got four or five grand just sitting here for me. Okay, cool. That's always um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was actually a really good time with the money for that one. Um, so that's when I started getting in, uh, music college, really. When you first started compared to now and everything is available, streaming, it's instant downloads and such, or actually more streaming people are listening and you're not necessarily getting the royalties that you used to get as far as that goes. Anything you see that we can do to change that? Obviously we'd love for people to download the content from the artists and such, I don't think people get that, that the person who was actually doing this is not making but a couple of pennies on every 10,000 downloads or so. Uh, anything yeah. you'd like to comment yeah. about how things are handled streaming-wise now? Um, it's kind of, it's really similar to, I guess, the writer's guild strike and the actor's the sack strike, where once these big conglomerates sold everything into streaming, they made sure they got their cut of the money. And the artists probably got one fiftieth or one seventy fifth of what they used to get. Um, I think the only way to co- really combat that is you have to be in music. You have to get a union, and music has never really had a union that can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I mean, because the way people consume music now, it's, it's everything's on your phone. There's no really, there's no good way to go back. Um, I know some artists have done like sponsorships with like Samsung or with um, cryptocurrency to get legitimate amount of money for the actual album. But that's you got to be a really established artist to get those type of deals. Yeah, there's some, um, there's some artists that actually are not on Spotify or Apple Music and such, which yeah. I understand. I do understand why they're not on there. But people are going, why isn't Garth Brooks on Spotify? Well, it's because he's not making any money by you streaming his music. He wants you to actually go ahead and buy the albums and such like that. Now, let's talk about your book. Your book, you're, right. not only you do all those things, you're also an author. Hey, Doorman, Inception mm-hmm. to an Anthology is a funny account of your days as a bouncer. Uh, you're working in Hollywood during that time frame. This is something I really and truly want to explore. Can you give us kind of a, a couple of uh, little stories from the book that you, you mind share with us? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, let's see. There's a bunch. Uh, you start with, like the, my, I guess, my first day. Um, it was my first job. I was in Venice on Abbott Kinney called Hal's Bar. I don't think it's even there anymore. Um, but it was like, I'm driving to work. I think I started at 8, and I get a call from like the host. And she said, you need to get here immediately. These two guys are about to get into a fight. And I'm like, well, I'm like 15 minutes away. There's nothing I can really do. I get there and it's one guy who's like about 250 pounds. The other guy's like 270 and they're like nose to nose. And I'm like, I'm big, but I'm not that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically just tried to talk to him, calm him down, got him some drinks and uh, everything got washed over and they ended up shaking hands or whatever. And, that, and I, that's when I realized, like, I have a line in there, like uh, men in LA are like dogs in LA. Only the little ones start, start crap. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true yeah just just so we know wh- wh- how big are you uh six three about two or five two ten six three two or five two ten okay very good yeah okay give us another story okay um oh this is a good one uh i'll start with a celebrity one because it's always a good one to me we're working uh it's a party this is a bar for the majority of stories that are, are set at bar lubich it's on uh santa monica boulevard in west hollywood okay and i'm at the front 
I didn't, we didn't know it at the time, but there was a, a trainer who trained a lot of celebrities. He was having like his, I don't know, on his birthday party or some big party. So it was like Topher Grace was there, some other celebrities. So it's me and this other bouncer, Connor, at the front door. Let's remember a black SUV pulls up and a guy gets out, brunette gets out with him. And I looked at the guy, I'm like, wow, that really looks like Matt Damon. And as he gets closer, I'm like, oh crap, that is Matt Damon. And it's around the time Elysium came out. So his hair was real short. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm like ready to be like, Hey, you can go, go in, go in, Mr. J- Mr. Jason Bourne. Like you're good. good. Mm-hmm. My partner Connor's like, I need ID. And I remember looking at him like, are you for real? Are you really like, he, he's going to have sunglasses on. He's not a hat. Funny. It's clearly him. And, uh, yeah. And I remember looking at him and then Matt Damon, he was not pretentious at all. He's like, Oh sure. Here you go. Shows the ID. His wife shows the ID. They go inside. And I was just like, what are you thinking? He's like, He's like, I, I had to check his ID. I'm like, no, no, you didn't. That was that. You didn't have to do that at all. And, and then they were, they were only there for like maybe an hour, hour and a half, mm-hmm. bought a round of drinks for some people that they were with. And I remember at the end of the night, a lot of the bartenders, a lot of female bartenders were just complaining about like, oh my God, I thought he was taller than that. I thought his wife would be hotter than that. And I'm just like, the guy left, left a good tip. He was nice. He was cordial. Just, just be happy. It's, it's not a... <laughs> just be happy you saw him and everything like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had him on a long, long time ago. He was promoting Boston Lager or that uh, uh-huh. no, Sam Adams. Sam Adams. Sam Adams is what it was many, many years ago. Many, many years ago. Uh, let's talk about something. A question that I asked in the open was what was the worst night of the year for a bar or a nightclub? I got a couple in mind, but I'd like to find okay. out what your answer, see if I was right. Okay. Um, in the case of the book, there's a very specific incident, which is the worst night ever, but it's really filthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, like normally the kind of the best night for most bars, at least across the United States I've found is usually the day before Thanksgiving. Cause that's when everyone comes back into town yeah. Yeah, they, and you're going out and you, and you got to be stuck with your family. So everyone's going out drinking heavier. Drink giving. That's what it's called. Yeah. Drink giving. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Nah. That, that was, it was, I was going to say it was going to be th- uh, Thanksgiving right before Thanksgiving. Cause someone wants yeah. to tie them on before they have to meet their family. <laughs> exactly. But I think in LA, because when I, I worked in mainly West Hollywood, no one's really from there. So that night is never a big night. So it usually ends up turning to usually busy wise pride parade, or New Year's. Those are usually the biggest, the two biggest. Yeah. Very good, very good. Now, without uh, getting anyone mad at us, uh, give us another celebrity encounter. You talked about Matt Damon. Anyone, other one come to mind? Yeah, um, I got a, actually a couple. Um, I got, I'll tell you two, two, two pretty good ones. Um, I was working, there was a different bar called uh, El Carmen, and it was uh, Jeremy Piven. And uh, I, I know this, Jeremy Piven went to the same high school I went to, Everson Township High School. So he, he gets out the car, he's coming in, he's got like these two really tall, hot models with him. And I, I mean, I, I knew he was of age, but they, were, they, looked like, they looked like they could have been about 20 or so years old. So I was like, I need to get their IDs. And he was like, ah, they don't have IDs. I can't do that. And I'm like, I really need to have IDs. And we just kind of talked back. He was really nice, go back and forth. And I'm like, didn't you go to uh, Emerson High School? He's like, yeah. And he started singing the, the, the song, like the school song. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, do you promise me they're 21? He's like, I promise you, I guarantee you they're 21. I'm like, all right, go ahead and get in there, Jeremy. Give me, give me a big hug. And he was super cool about it. I love stories uh, like that. That's always great. That's always great. Yeah. And I'm sure you've, yeah, had, yeah. you've had some incidents where people can be real douches too, but let's not worry about that. Yeah. Let's not tarnish that because probably those stories might be in the book. The book is called Hey Doorman, Inception to an Anthology. Where is it available at, my friend? It's on Amazon. Just Amazon.com. Search my name, Haji Outlaw, it'll pop up. 
I'll have it down in the show notes, so all you have to do is, by the way, Christmas is fastly approaching. Wouldn't you like to be uh, someone special on the Christmas list? This book will do it. it it's something that uh, that everyone's going to want a copy of this holiday season. Hey, Doorman, Inception to an Anthology, available on Amazon.com. Anything else we should know about Haji Outlaw that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh... Too, too much right there. You can uh, always find me on socials at uh, Twitter, Instagram at at Outlaw Haji. Mm-hmm. Get an idea of what I got coming up. I got a couple of comedy shows later this month in Chicago. One at Red Red Room Cafe, and I got another one at a secret show, which they're not allowing me to say the name or whatever it is for. It's some secret show at the end of the month. Okay, we'll yeah. include the uh, the socials down in the show notes. Also, as far as comedians today. Who do you like to uh, see? For instance, you can go out and watch a, a comedian. Who will you go out and see? Um, I've, I've missed him three or four times in LA. Uh, it'd be Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. I yeah. remember, I remember I, I had buddies who were like, I was working and they were like, Chappelle just popped into the comedy store at like 1230 at night. And I'm like, crap, I got another hour and a half of work left. Mm-hmm. And I, he ended up taking out before. So it'd be him. Uh, I already got to see Louis C.K. He was actually super nice. Mm-hmm. I remember him walking in the bar. I was working at a bar, and he's like, I was like, hey, how you doing? Louis's like, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Okay, walk on in. Um, other than that, uh, I really like Ali Wong, but I know her mm-hmm. uh, from doing shows. She's all she's great. Those are people, like, a few people I, I and Bill Burr. Bill Burr is yeah. a monster. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's a monster for sure. And you, you mentioned Stephen yeah. Wright also, as far as yeah. that goes. And and the late, great Mitch Hedberg. His his yeah. style of comedy is just absolutely... His whole story about the club sandwich is still one of my favorite things that I love mm-hmm. to share. We talk about Mitch Hedberg. Uh, mm-hmm. as, far, as far as my wife and I love stand-up comedy, one of our favorites is from Chicago. Kyle Kinane is one yeah, of our, one of our, one of our yeah. personal favorites. We're seeing uh, Kathleen Madigan in a couple of days, so... Uh, and uh, and Tom Papa's another one of our favorites and such. So yeah, we love stand up comedy. So we're gonna have to catch your show when you're in Chicago sometime soon, man. Please do. Yeah. All right, real good. Final thoughts that we should uh, say before we close up shop for this evening. Uh, there's one quick story I just want to share about Stephen Wright. Okay. Um, when I moved to L.A., I was at the Laugh Factory and I got told this story and it was confirmed. Stephen Wright came up to the front door. And on like an open mic night, he just he just said, I want to do some time. And it was like a 20-year-old girl working at the door. And she told him, like, oh, um, if you want to get up on stage, you need to wait in line with the other open micers. And he's like, no, my name is Steven. Uh, can I get on the show? She thought he was a she thought he, she thought homeless that he was person. homeless. Yeah. Had no idea. All she knew was, like, Dane Cook. And that was about it. And so he ended up just leaving. And I remember, the, like, the manager came back and told me, like, Told the woman like you have to like look up some other comedians. This guy's won a freaking Oscar. Like, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's just just amazing though. Because I, I saw one. Uh, there was a, a woman who was working backstage at a rock concert, and she says, uh, "Excuse me, I, 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 you're not allowed back here." He says, I, "I'm the lead singer of the band." <laughs> she goes, "She goes, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." He goes, "No, that's okay, man. You're, you're doing your job. I love you. Thank you." <laughs> so that's <Nice>. great. <laughs> <laughs> the book once again hey doorman make sure you get yourself a copy for christmas get one for everybody on your christmas list and i'll have the the links down in the show notes and haji thanks man thanks for taking the time to be with us today and uh, i hope you i hope you had some fun here on the podcast i definitely did thank you for having me appreciate it 
Hi, this is Rick Anthony thanking you again for listening to this episode of Someone You Should Know. Now, if you're an aspiring musician or an established musician that's looking for a little exposure, I invite you to drop us a line at someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. That's someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to tell a friend about the Someone You Should Know podcast. I thank you for tuning in this time and I invite you to check us out next time on the Someone You Should Know podcast because you never know who's going to show up. Until next time, remember, God loves you and so do I.